Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. for the opportunity to come preach. I'll be preaching on one of your core values, relational living. It just happens to be one of ours up at Allentown Bible Church, too. We call it relational community. If you came up and joined us, you would find that many things are similar between our churches. We're just on a slightly smaller, more intimate scale. We're very similar mentalities. I do appreciate not only the outpouring of prayer, the outpouring of funds that you've given us to make things happen up there, but also the outpouring of your pastor, he spends two hours every other week with me. Instead of meeting with one of you or being available to you, he spends time pouring into me, and I appreciate you freeing him up to be able to do that. Relational living, relational community, relational living in a relational community. In your core values, it says this, living life together, not doing church together. As we go through life, becoming connected and involved in one another's lives for the purpose of growing together, upholding one another, and learning together. Here's how we say it in our core values. We strive to cultivate meaningful relationships with those in our surrounding physical community as we show them the love of Christ. And we strive to cultivate meaningful relationships with those in our church community as we live life together. I believe that in the day and age in which we live, that it is very difficult to live out analog relationships in a digital world. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. So I wore my my analog watch, which my kids can barely tell time from. They can kind of see where things are pointing, but it uses physical, I don't even know what they're called. What they're called on the watch. Anybody know? Hands. Thank you. I'm working bivocationally now, so some things slip by and I'm getting older. Hands. Physical hands in order to show time. And what do we do most often now to tell time? If you've got a smartwatch, you just pick it up and it gives it to you. Maybe you have an analog display, but it's still digital. Or you pull out your phone and look at it. You see, we fight to preserve the realities of relational living. There is a need in every person's heart for proximity in relationship for closeness, for the face-to-face. There is a need to be present with our church family and those in the community that we're striving to know on a day-to-day basis and show Christ to. I think what we are trying to do in this and the reality of life, and this is the illustration that I'm going to tease out throughout this passage, is we are trying to preserve a slice of heaven. We're trying to give people a taste of heaven, but we can't do it perfectly because we're in this jam of a sin-cursed world. So as we go through 1 Peter 4, I'm going to tease out this preservative aspect as we look at four preservatives to preserve your relational community or your relational living. I thought about, when I knew I was going to have this topic, I thought about going to Acts 2, 42 to 47. And if there is a passage that really spells out the practical hands and feet 
of a Christian community living in relationship with one another and with the world. It's that passage. But I thought maybe it's good to take a step back and look at the heart that leads to that kind of living. It's why I came to 1 Peter 4. Now, I need your help in this. Are there any of you here that enjoy making jams, jellies, that is willing to take a minute and explain to us the process and how to do that? I would do that, but I've never done it. So it's all theoretical in my case. Somebody be bold, be brave. Help me out. Help me out and speak loudly and tell us what's involved in making a jam or a jelly. Well, you'll have a mic for... I'm not used to preaching where there's a, another group. You want to make your jelly out of, and you cut it up real small, and you boil it in your water until it becomes mushy. If you're doing preserves, you um, leave it with the fruit in it, and you would add your fruit pectorin, and you boil it for a set amount of time, and you add lots of sugar, and then you just need to let it set. Uh, if, you're, if you want to make jelly versus preserves, you need to strain out all the fruit pulp and just use the juice to make your jelly. So there's a difference. I didn't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> and how long is the shelf life? You can have a shelf life on there, right? You can sit on the shelf. Once you open it, you have to refrigerate it. Is it the real thing? Well, yes and no, right? I mean, it's not quite the same. I happen to be fond of blueberry jam. It's not quite the same as going out in a field and picking blueberries and popping them in your mouth. There's something about that that is much sweeter than the preservative, but yet it still brings that taste into your mind. As we live relational community, you know what we live is not the fruits of heaven. We don't have that perfection yet. We are not freed from our sin and the sin of others. But what we have is the work of the Holy Spirit, a part of heaven at work in our lives. So we have the the preservatives of that, the taste of what life will one day be like. So let's go through that in 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. Here's the first preservative that we're going to talk about in verse 7. Control your thoughts so that you are equipped for prayer. Look at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Eight and nine will kind of get into more of what we think of as relationships, but I believe there is a reason why Peter starts out with talking about being self-controlled in prayer in verse seven. I believe if we aren't controlling our thoughts that we are equipped for prayer, we will not properly live out relational living and relational community. He'll go into specifics more about what he's talking about in the next two verses. But he starts out giving us a perspective of what time we live in. He says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. What picture do you get in your mind? I get a picture of a bearded man on the side of the road with a sign that says what? The end is near. But that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about, he is communicating that we, the church, are at this end stage of redemptive history. So we've gone through creation. We've gone through the fall. We've gone through the calling of Israel as God's people. Their exodus from Israel, 
and then the return to bondage because of their idolatry. Their return then from that exile, Jesus has come, he's been incarnate, he's been born, he died, he resurrected, he ascended to heaven, and now the Holy Spirit lives in the hearts of everyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus and follow him. We are in the age of the church, the last stage of the redemptive story before Jesus comes and one day wipes out all evil forever and establishes his permanent kingdom. And Peter says, keep that in mind, that we are towards the end as you live out your life. Here's how he describes it. He says, in that, therefore, be self-controlled. This is dealing with our sanity. He's saying, be sane. He's saying, have a clear mind. Have good sense as you live your life. Have good judgment. Be sensible in the way that you proceed with your life. Be sane. Be self-controlled. And be sober-minded. Be sober. Don't have a lazy mind. He's saying you can be in danger as you go through life and your prayers and how you live of having irrational thinking because you are not in control of your thought processes. Now our minds automatically go probably to drugs and alcohol. Somebody that is intoxicated with substances does not have control of their mind. But how about those that are intoxicated by things, by possessions, by thoughts of advancement, by lust, by technology? These things as well can lead to us not being sober. He gives us the reason why. Keep in mind the perspective of where you're at in redemptive history. Be sane, be sober for the sake of your prayers. Why? So that you can pray more intelligently. Knowing the end, knowing that life is not really irrational. As you're in control of yourself, you realize that you can go through life with a balance, with a calmness. You're not easily swayed. You're able to endure persecution and hard things and difficult relationships. And then you know what to ask of God. You ask him for the things that lead to good relational community, to good relational living, to good things for people. We're not children asking for trinkets, for things that don't matter. We're adults asking for treasures, those things of eternal and of value, people, things. So this is the first preservative. This mindset, this attitude of prayer, then helps us live out in the right spirit with the right hearts, this next preservative. Take a look at verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now he gets to our minds and kind of drives us home. Here's a second preservative. Love your Christian community. Now what does this look like? What does this look like from the heart? First of all, it's this. He makes clear that we know that this love is primary. It's above all. So this is the first priority. He's saying this. If this love isn't number one in order and a priority in your life, in your heart, then forget about the rest of relational living. Love the people around you is the top priority. Now, we may think this is obvious, that this is basic, and it is. And let me give you an illustration from my life. Um, I've spent a lot of time coaching basketball. I'm a better coach than I think I was a player. And we start with the basics when I get together with the kids. I don't care how old they are. I started with teenagers, and I taught younger kids, and we always start with the basics. The basics is this. If I was holding a basketball in front of you, I'd be starting out the first practice on the first day stating the obvious. The goal, guys or girls, of this game is to get this ball 
in our basket and keep the opponent from getting this ball in theirs. Makes sense, right? That's basic. Then how many of you have been in a game, and this has happened to me with a senior in high school. You think they get it. It's the basic. Until they're really excited because they get the ball, they dribble the wrong way, and they get two points on the stat sheet for the wrong team. And we think it's obvious, we think it's basic, we think we got the fundamentals down, and we have these bloopers on YouTube of the kids shooting in the wrong basket. And this always happens because you go on through life, as you go on through the game, you get distracted and you forget which way you're going. The same thing can happen to us as Christians. It's probably easier to find bloopers in church of people not loving one another in community than it is to find that basketball scenario on YouTube. And all the time we have people in Christian communities living with everything but love. If there was love, how do relationships get so toxic? Maybe there is a love. It's a self-love. But it's not another's focus. love. This love is primary above all. This love is constant. That is above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep and earnest. So he's saying this, this love must continue even in the face of being wronged and sinned against. Something I always tell, as I'm standing in front of my people in church, I always say this as we're dealing with relationships. I am going to sin against you, and you are going to sin against each other and me. Is that true? I won't ask for a raise of hands to find out how many people in this room Pastor John has sinned against. Sandy, keep your hand down. I mean, it's reality, isn't it? We, we live in a sin-cursed world. We are going to offend one another. We are going to sin against one another. We're to have love throughout all of that. I, I love that your church has a covenant. I love that we have a covenant in our church. Why? There's a reason for a church covenant and membership. Because promises are needed. Relationships go to better with Commitment. There's a reason why at a marriage ceremony, promises are given. If life was easy, we would not need promises, right? But because there are times when you don't feel like acting in love, you need promises. When you're sinned against, you promise to love. Inherent in this constant, as he's talking about it, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, is the idea that this kind of love in Christian community and relational living is going to stretch you. Now, let's say I had Pastor John come up here. I won't. Just use you as an example because you're easy to. Do you, are you able to do a split? Okay. I won't have you demonstrate that you are unable to do a split. Now, let's say I got you in some kind of stretching program and I enlisted the help of the church. Everybody that's good. Can anybody here do a split? I won't have you demonstrate, I promise. Can anybody do it? Very, very few people can. Now, I've heard, I've never been able to do one either, and it pains me to see other people doing one. But I've heard that almost anybody can, unless you have some kind of physical ailment, through constant stretching and practice. And if we practice, and for six months until I'm here again, all of your church and I practice doing splits. I mean, we could all, after that time, probably get in front of where we are, and instead of kneeling in prayer with one another, we can all do splits together and pray. Because you've stretched yourself, you aren't able to now 
But as you discipline yourself to that, you can get to that point. That is what he's talking about in this love thing, not doing Christian splits. But that we need to keep stretching ourselves to love one another. Love comes easier as you stretch it. Right now, can any of us love as immensely as Jesus did? I keep looking over here. I was here for so long when I was coming. What Jesus did on the cross, we are probably none of us there yet. One day we will when we're perfected. But we stretch towards that in our love for the world, our love for those around us, and our love for those in our Christian community. The second preservative, love your Christian community. He talks about that and breaks down that this love is primary. It's above all. It's constant, but it also breaks the cycle of sin. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. This is inherent in Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. He's saying live in such a way that the cycle of sin is ended. So when someone sins against you, you now have a choice, don't you? Will you allow offense to be taken and will you sin Or will you respond in love and for their benefit and quit holding on to and thinking about yourself and how you were wronged? Within every heart, there is the potential to destroy a relationship in your response to sin or to mend a relationship in your response to sin. Within your community, there is that potentiality. Second preservative, love your Christian community. Third preservative, show gracious hospitality. Let's go to verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show gracious hospitality. Our homes are to be places of safety and well-being for others. Generally, our homes are to be known as places, our church communities are to be known as places where all are welcomed. If we think about the context of it in this day and age, and in 1 Peter, in, in Acts 2, 42, 47, where they were talking about how hospitality was lived out, do you know that in the culture it's unlike ours? In our culture, it's very rare for somebody to be initially invited over to somebody else's home. It's a rarity. Some cultures, maybe it perseveres, but chances are there aren't a lot of homes in the community where you've even seen the inside of somebody's house, no matter how much you're involved with them in community. In this day and age... It was actually common. So if you were traveling from town to town, you would go to the center of town. You couldn't grab an Airbnb. You couldn't grab Hotels.com. You would go to the center of town in hopes that somebody, a complete stranger, would invite you in, give you a place to stay and food to eat. The early church was known for this. They gathered in one another's homes. All religions of that time, it was characteristic. The Jews were familiar with this. Their homes were places where hospitality was shown and the world came to meet together. So if you would think on Acts 2, 42, 47, there was something excessive about the life of the church. Why? Because it says that because of their hospitality, because of the fruits of their love and community and their relational living, the world was amazed and people came to Christ because the church stood out even in a culture where hospitality was normal. It's excessive love. It's constant. It's giving of those in need, even strangers, exercising this hospitality out in a world where even they stood out, a place of safety and well-being for others, a gracious and generous hospitality. 
Now, this is emphasized in your Christian community. I mean, we, we all have practices in the life of our church. We have small groups, and it takes place in the home where hospitality can be practiced in homes. But even here, somebody got the place ready. Somebody decorated. Somebody used hospitality to welcome others, to make people feel welcome as they came in. Are other Christians welcomed warmly in your church and in your home? Do you look at your resources as God's? Things to be expended for his glory and others' good. Some have been given much, some have been given little, but all are to be used in relational living and hospitality to others. And then he states the obvious. (laughs) Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is to be done without complaint. So Brian Rott was hosting my family this afternoon. Hopefully he's not at home saying, stink, we've got to have Rick and his family over. I can take the rest of his family, but come on, Kristen, do we have to have them over? Come on, Pastor John, you want to come to our place? We know what this is like, don't we? Like there's some that we'd love to have over, that we'd love to have join us, that we can have over and be like, sure, come on over. But then there's some, it's like, do we have to? Do we have to use our resources? When they come over, they, they, they drink all my good coffee, they eat all my good food, their kids mess stuff up. I get it, guys, I'm there. I grumble at times in showing hospitality to others. But God says continue, show gracious hospitality. Fourth preservative, I'm not going to be in this one for long, but this is give your gifts of grace and acts of service, verse 10 and verse 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Fourth preservative, give your gifts of grace and acts of service. I know this is one of your other core values is selfless service. It's one of ours as well, so let me just touch on this briefly. First of all, this. If you have followed Christ with your life, God has given you gifts to give to others. Gifts that he's equipped you with, but you are the Christmas tree with a gift with somebody else's name under it. You are the dispenser of those gifts to those who need it. Secondly, all speak and all serve in different times and in different ways. God has not combined a church and a relational community that is all the same. We're different with different gifts that as we're combined, we can use those gifts to serve others. Maybe as you're thinking through this and you're thinking of the prospect of having somebody to your home or going out in a relationship and you're an extreme introvert and this makes you very, very nervous, here's what you do. You and your extreme introvertness use your act of service and detail whatever you are, your gifts of getting your home together and invite over another family from your community that is extroverted and have them involved with another family from your community. I mean, God's word doesn't call us not to be creative. He doesn't say that our relational living and our hospitality is just us and our family and don't involve everybody else. He says, get creative. Have others involved. Use them. All speak and all serve in different times and in different ways. And the focus of it, as he wraps up this section in verse 11, is that these are all done for the glory of God. I love this focus. In relational living, in our gifts, We aren't part of the community to receive and internalize either offense and being sinned against or glory. It's deflected, isn't it? So as we participate in this, as we use our gifts for God's service, we're going to receive offense 
in service to God as we engage in those relationships? Who ultimately is the fence being directed at? Christ. Now, if I'm sinning in those relationships, rightfully the offense should be directed towards me. But as we act in service of God in relationships, and those relationships harm us, guys, it's not about us. It's deflected to God. It is God that people have an issue with. But glory as well. So as we reach out to others and they're mesmerized by us and the way we live in relationships and love us because of it and come to Christ because of it, who gets the glory? That as well is deflected to Christ in Christ's work. So how are you cultivating and preserving relational living, relational community in your life and your church community? Let me ask a couple diagnostic questions. Do your contacts with others go beyond the digital and into the analog where you are face-to-face in proximity to others? In the second hour, I want to tease this out some more and, and talk about it. It's a question to ask yourself. Secondly, are you distracted or are you present when you're with others? Are you distracted or are you present when you're with others? Third question, ask yourself, do you get annoyed easily with the sins of others? Or do you direct the same amount of patience towards them as you would desire others to direct towards you in your sin? See, when we answer these, when we answer these with this passage and live this out, when we control our thoughts in prayer, when we are truly loving, showing gracious hospitality, giving of our gifts, these are all preservatives of true relational community, true relational living. If you would go into Costco this time of year, I can picture my Costco. There's one close to me now, so I walk in there head through the doors, show my card, head to the back. Probably it's after where all the health stuff is. You go two rows down, I believe it is, take a left, grab the almond butter for my son since he's allergic to peanuts, and I go a little further, and there's something this time of year that is always tempting me there. They have organic Maine blueberry preserves. They're awesome. $9.99 for a big jar. If you want to bless a church planter, something that you support, send one up to me in Allentown. (laughs) Every time I eat it, I'll think of you fondly. But you go there. I remember the first time I had them. It's the one time I was really suckered in where I'm going around and, you know, I'm trying to graze and eat so I because I didn't prepare lunch for the day. So I'm going around, and they had as one of their samples, they had crackers with the organic Maine blueberry preserves. I always pass by because I'm like, $10 for jelly? Are you serious? I can get it cheaper at Aldi. But I'd always pass it by. But I made the mistake of taking the cracker. They got me. It's the first time I honestly asked where something is, not just politely, and I went and got it. And I got them, and it's like you take the bite of it, and it feels like I remember fond memories of being in Maine as a kid. I was transported there. I felt like I was eating blueberries while wearing L.L. Bean clothing (laughs) with a moose just beyond the blueberry bush. And in the distance, in the field, Tom Brady was throwing passes to Gronkowski. I mean, those blueberries were preserved in not a perfect way, but pretty close to that. And it was a great experience, except for the New England Patriots thing. But it brought the taste, it brought my mind to a place and to memories. Because when we put together these ingredients, we live these out, we preserve a Christ-centered community. 
that transport people to see the glory of God in heaven. Is it perfect? No, it's not. But is it a taste? Yes, it is. It's going to be as close as we can get this side of heaven. Be serious about these things. Devote yourself to them. and Let's flourish in our relationships for the glory of God, the good of our church families, and the good of our communities. Because these are the preservatives of relational living. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for how you use these things both to encourage us and to rebuke us. I pray that we'd be encouraged to continue on in relationships in the ways that we need to today. I pray that you would rebuke us in the ways that we need as well. Thank you for these things. Thank you for showing us this relationship in the Trinity. Thank you for coming down to earth to show it to us. And thank you for engaging us in love so we know how to engage others. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.